time to take the next step with Looney Libis. This week, I'm at Start.coop, which is the first accelerator in the world for cooperative companies. And with me is... I'm Greg Brodsky. I'm the founder of Start.coop. Let's just jump straight to, straight to that. Why is there an accelerator for co-ops? You know, I actually grew up in a family where co-ops were part of the culture. When I was a little kid, my father formed a co-op for carpet stores. He ran a carpet store where I was growing up in Manchester, New Hampshire. And uh, he took his idea for a single carpet store, and now there's 2,000 carpet stores around the country that buy through this group. And so I grew up watching my father create a culture of co-ops and and how it supported independent business around the country. Many years later, I used a similar model to form a co-op for bicycle stores around the country. And that group still around has about 250 bike stores. But what I found was that people didn't know how to create co-ops on their own, that there's a lot of interest in this model, and that especially with sort of the all the conversation about wealth disparity in the U.S. and income gap, that people are looking to the co-op model as a way to share wealth, to share profits with a larger, broader segment of the population. But it's sort of a mysterious word. And when, what I tell people is that the word co-op is a horrible word because everyone's heard it, but no one knows what it means. And so what we're trying to do is take the mystery out of it and say, this is an actionable, doable model to share wealth and share governance with the people that you serve. But we needed a program to actually bring the pieces together and say, here's the recipe for how you create a co-op in your community or in your business. Okay, so we'll, we'll jump back to the program for a second. Yeah. Um, I actually want to jump into the part. You said your dad started a co-op, but it wasn't a worker-owned co-op. It wasn't, it, it wasn't commune, right? That, it that comes up. It wasn't commune. It wasn't workers owning these carpet stores. It was carpet stores owning a co-op. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, one, it's one of the problems of the word co-op. I mean, sometimes we say a shared ownership model, but, you know, everyone has a hard time wrapping their heads around, well, what does uh, a consumer grocery store co-op have to do with carpet stores, right? And so if you think of the word co-op as just an ownership model, then really it depends who the owners are of the business. So you can have a consumer-owned business, and if you think of consumer-owned, it might be a grocery store, it might be REI. You can have a worker-owned model. So you could have a cafe, coffee shop, bike store, bookstore that's owned by its workers. Yeah, we met Equal Exchange last night. Equal Exchange is a $70 million uh, coffee, tea, and chocolate company here in Boston that sells around the country, sells to Whole Foods, that is a worker-owned company. You can have a farmer-owned model. So you could say uh, Ocean Spray, which is you know massive cranberry juice grower, Lando Lakes, Blue Diamond Almonds on the West Coast, those are farmer-owned companies. Or you can actually have a model that's owned by independent stores around the country. So it, it's all a question of... Hold on, yeah, that's please. like Ace Hardware? That's Ace Hardware. Uh, until very recently, that was True Value. That's the bike co-op, the group I did. And so, so each one is different. So really, if you think of ownership as we're, we're designing the co-op for who the owners are in our community, all a co-op really does is align the interest. And in, in a traditional corporation, you have usually people get the profit on one side and people who are buying the good or service on the other side. And what we're saying is we're going to move the, the Venn diagrams closer together so the people we're serving actually own the company. But, the, but that's the basic model behind it. Okay, so that sounds totally obvious. It sounds like that should be uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they kind of are everywhere, but there aren't, there aren't very many of these. No, there's, there's probably only a few thousand co-ops in the U.S. And I, I think a lot of people think of that commune idea that you mentioned, kind of you know, a, a bad uh, 70s grocery store or some awkward uh, housing situation they had in college when you hear the word co-op. Yeah. So, you know, that's why we're testing out, do we call it a shared ownership model, a distributed ownership model? But 
it's it's really what people are looking for. We did a research that if it's the same good or service, actually 70% of the people would rather buy from a co-op, even though they don't actually understand what it means. <laughs> but so there is a desire for what these things are. There's sort of a halo effect. And what they're really asking for is an organization that shares more profits with their with their constituents and more governance rights. Okay, so we're here, uh, we're in Boston this week. Uh, it is day two of Start.coop. We have six co-ops in the other room working on product market fit. Same kind of lessons we teach at Fledge for, um, nor- I want to say normal, for uh, commonly dis- uh, governed companies. What gets in the way? What, what is going to happen here in this program that's different from all the other Fledges and all the other accelerators in the world, specific to co-ops to get them across? So basically, what's the hurdles and uh, how are we going to get them through or over those hurdles? Yeah, one of the really interesting questions is how much of it being, co- being a co-op is really specific to being a co-op? So one of the interesting questions people have asked me is, if you're a co-op, how much of that is, is special and unique? How much are you a special snowflake? And how much is just being a great business? Some aspects are not unique at all. Some aspects, uh, if you think about sales and marketing, they're not really unique to being a co-op. If you think about operations and hiring, they're not really unique to being a co-op. The two unique aspects that often get in the way are the fundraising and the governance. Those are somewhat unique to being a co-op. The governance, there's a lot of great models for governance in the co-op community. So the biggest obstacle a lot of people in the room will have is how do you fundraise within a co-op structure? Because that does look a little different. And we just covered for the past month the realities of funding. We were talking about the realities of funding a traditional company. We didn't touch on the extra problem of funding a co-op because the investors can't they can own the co-op, but they can't own it in the same way that the other, uh, the other members own the co-op. So it, it, it gets in the way and it gets convest- investors confused, and it leads to more structures that we'll talk about some other time. Yeah. Do you want me to touch on that for a minute? Or? If you want, yeah. Well, so while you can't own 100% of the company as an outside investor, most of the co-ops that we're working with are what we call multi-stakeholder models. So rather than just saying, if we were forming a new co-op grocery store, because that's an example a lot of people understand... It used to be that you only had that one shareholder class, the, the consumers, right, who may be on that grocery store. The new models say ownership is a design element and we can use that however we want. So maybe we want 50% of the store to be owned by the consumers. Maybe we want 30% of the store to be owned by the staff. And maybe we want 20% to be outside shareholders because we need their money to get the store going in the first place. So those numbers will vary for each model. But you actually can carve out a percentage ownership for investors in these new models. When did this new model show up? People have been using it on and off for 10 years, but I think a lot of people haven't really understood it in a, in a real way. Okay. And, and then again, last night at the opening party, I got to meet uh, the current president of Equal Exchange and dig in on how do they structure it? How does it work for their uh, worker owners? How does it work for their investors because they have raised money? Um, what do those investors buy? And in that case, they get non-voting shares. That's right. Which, you know, and he seemed to stress the word non-voting, but the shares I own in Costco, yes, they have a vote, but I don't own it enough to make any difference. So they get non-voting shares. They pay the dividend. He said, you know, it's paying, paying a steady dividend it has for, for decades now. It actually sounded like a good investment. Yeah. I just, I've never, I, maybe once in my life, I've ever seen a co-op investment come along as an opportunity before for these six. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think about co-ops, most of the time you think about the really small local co-op, again, the grocery store model. But everyone in this room wants to scale their company to a, a national level. And so you need some funding to get that going, right? And so you have a handful of really big national co-ops, the REIs, the Ocean Sprays, the Ace Hardwares. Um, but the question is, you know, if someone's starting a new one, how do you get there? And so you need to build in that investment vehicle if you are going to scale up, and that's why it's such an important part of the conversation. So what kind of companies do we have here in, in Boston with us today? You know, I, I think we have six amazing teams who are all trying to innovate in different ways, and so we have, we have three worker-owner models. So we have three teams where the employees actually own a company, and we have three what we call platform co-op models. And so within these different kind of co-ops, the platform co-op community is kind of the most hot and exciting right now. They have their own conferences, a lot of buzz about the rise of platform co-ops as a way to maybe combat the gig economy. And, and essentially what it is, is they're tech platforms owned by their users. And I think because so much of the economy has moved online and people see how a few people are getting very, very rich, there's a lot of interest in saying, like, what if we could have the drivers of Uber own the company? What if we could have the users of Facebook own the company? And so sharing ownership, which is really what a cop is about, is a game changer in terms of really changing who benefits out of this economy. All right, so you said co-ops are about a different way of ownership and governance. So let's really quickly, what do you mean by governance? Yeah, so ownership is, is sort of a bundle of rights. When you say you own a company, and if, even if you think about you're probably invested in a mutual fund, right? Or maybe you're invested in Facebook or Google. Often it's, it's two things. There's some profit share, usually, if the company does well. And the second thing is you get some amount of voting rights, okay? Now, what people think of when they think of co-op is this, this communal nature, right? Does that mean that everyone is making every decision? And nine out of 10 times, that's not the case. It's certainly not the case for anyone in this room. It means that you get to vote on something, but usually it's a representative democracy. So what I mean by that is you're voting for the board of the co-op. It doesn't mean they're asking you every question. So another classic example of a co-op that we all forget about is your local credit union, right? Mm -hmm. Credit union is a bank owned by the customers in that community. It is 100% a co-op, but your credit union doesn't go to you and ask you whether they should approve a loan to your neighbor. REI, consumer on co-op, doesn't ask you what the pricing should be on the shelf. But technically, if you're an REI member or you're a credit union customer, you could vote for the board or run for the board of that co-op. And that's what we're really talking about with governance is the people who are on the board are representative of that community, but it's, it's very much a representative democracy. And it comes down to who has that right to vote. So do you have the right to vote because you had money to invest? became a shareholder or did you have the right to vote because you are a customer or you're however the the stakeholder in this in this model you're a stakeholder in this business and that that gives you a right to vote for who runs the business and therefore a voice in how this business is run that's right one of the core co-op principles is one member one vote so if you're a member you get to vote for the board and you get to vote on any big, big decisions they bring to the membership but you know it doesn't matter how much money you put in it's one member one vote well, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Lenny. Thanks for being here. You're welcome.